You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, I'm Katherine Griffiths. And I'm Stefania Romeo, and you're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. Today, we are super excited to bring you our guest, Selena Gray. Selena is a financial empowerment coach and an entrepreneur who has dedicated her career to helping women thrive in business and in financial success. As we start this new year, I know a lot of us are thinking about how do I get a better handle on how I'm managing my finances, how I'm calling in more financial success, what are the things that I can look at to help me do that, and that's why we wanted to bring this conversation to you. Selena teaches women how to bring in more revenue, if you're a business owner, how to keep more profit, and how to really welcome financial freedom by being wealthy from the inside out. This conversation gets into the principles behind where our relationship to money comes from, why it's so important, and how to identify what might be holding us back so that we can unpack it and elevate our proverbial financial ceiling. Selena went from being a high-powered exec traveling the world to work with her finance clients to suffering extreme burnout, which completely changed the course of her life. She's here to share that and so much more on this episode. Before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about our partnership with Sakara. Sakara is an incredible food as medicine brand. They have amazing meal programs and clean boutique items with everything from detox to collagen supplements and products. A little while back, I did Sakara's level two detox program, which is their level two of their meal program created in partnership with healthcare providers and set up to help you eliminate toxins in your body, decrease any inflammation, swelling, puffiness, bloating, and reduce and shed any excess weight that you're holding onto that doesn't feel like it's yours. I've had amazing, amazing results with their products. And through our partnership, they're giving 20% off any first order using code XOVIRA. That's X-O-V-I-R-R-A. If you want to join me, I'm going to be doing the next round of level two detox. They do it once a month. Last time we got a little group together and we all cheered each other on, held each other accountable and supported each other. I finished the five days feeling incredible. You can try the level two detox or you can do any of their regular meal programs, which are healthy, nourishing, plant-based meals, or any of their clean boutique products. Some of my favorites are the collagen chocolates and the detox water. If you want to try anything from Saqqara, get 20% off your first order with X-O-Vira. That's X-O-V-I-R-R-A. 
All right, let's get into the conversation. So in this conversation, we talked to Selena about her incredibly moving story on her life and what led her to become a financial empowerment coach, why her relationship to money matters so much and the misconceptions around it. We talk about the energetics behind unhealthy patterns with money, like overspending, underspending, relying on money for a sense of self, how our subconscious limiting beliefs are tied to our relationship with money. We talk a lot about abundance and what it actually means. And it doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the monetary form of money. It can mean many different things. And we talk about the steps that we can take to call in more financial abundance into our lives and so much more. Let's get into it. Welcome, Selena. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. I recently discovered you on Mark Grove's podcast, and I also saw that you're offering a course and listened to the podcast and really resonated with the information that you shared. So we really wanted to get you on. So we'd love to start out with your story and how you got into this work. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here, and thank you for listening in on that Mark Groves podcast. He's one of my dearest friends. So I'm going to take you gals way back to the beginning. I grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan in Canada, and I immediately was interested in the subject of money. Money to me was a fascinating topic that was really out of place in the family unit I grew up in. I grew up in a lower middle-class family and it was kind of taboo to talk about money. I don't know if y'all grew up in a household like that, but I certainly did. So my mom was very adamant about like squashing my conversations about money. I was that little gal on the street finding things to sell to my neighbors until they were completely tired of me bombarding them at their door. And I, in that small town, just always was resilient in finding ways to be an entrepreneur before I knew what an entrepreneur was because I found that money brought freedom into my life. That if I had my own money, I didn't have to ask my parents for things. And I loved all of the interactions and learning. I was really interested in numbers. And so that kind of started my path of learning about money and being interested in it. And then I took a trip to Europe on one of those school trips. I was 16 and I went to the Eiffel Tower. I remember standing in front of the Eiffel Tower being like, oh man, I love traveling. So I, I, from that moment was like, I need to find a way to bring numbers and travel together. And so that's exactly what I did. And so I became a controller of a publicly traded company when I was just shy of 22 years of age. And my first assignment was to head to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And I got <laughs> on the ground and I remember sitting in the boardroom and I had a team of you know, 15 to 30 people newly reporting to me. I was just a punk kid. And I'll never forget there was bulls running down the street. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like this, I've made it basically. And so for the next several years, I just spent my time commuting business class, first class, because that was the corporate life and liaising with my, my team. So as a a chartered professional accountant, I was managing a team of finance ninjas, as I'd like to call them, across the globe. So there was people in Dubai and Amsterdam and Nairobi and Tunis and literally everywhere. And it was just so much fun. I started 
really being immersed in massive budgets, hundreds of millions of dollars, interacting with government, and it became addictive for me. What I didn't understand at the time was that even though I was young, our body has tolerance. And so I started getting warning signs. My arms and legs started to go numb and I had trouble like eating certain foods. It would upset my stomach and I wasn't sleeping well because I was always on an airplane. So I was in a different time zone all the time. So it made sense to me that I couldn't sleep, but I was just soaking it all in and it was the beginning stages of becoming a workaholic. And so for the next several years, you know, some weeks I barely slept and just worked all of the time. I remember being in my hotel, just didn't matter where I was, I was working because someone was working in a different time zone on my team. And then one day I woke up on the floor in my office in, in Tunisia and my team was surrounding me and I woke up and I'm like, what happened? And they're like, Miss Selena, you passed out. And I flew home to Canada and spent, you know, nearly 20 days in hospital. And it was really dark, deep awakening for me in how much we glorify wow. working and wow. push away the warning signs of our health. And so I'll never forget the doctor coming into my room. I couldn't eat for 11 full days because they couldn't stop internal bleeding for me. And I remember the doctor coming in and I, the first thing I said, I was like, when can I get back on a plane? Like I have work to do. And he's like, Selena, your life is going to look very different. He's like, this is not an ulcer. Cause I was, I was banking in on it being an ulcer. I'm like, get me back on a plane. Like it's not an ulcer. You have an yeah. autoimmune disease and the treatment you require is it needs you to be home. And I remember just like, do you ever think of those moments in your life where like time stops? It was one of those moments where I was just like, this cannot be happening to me. I just felt like everything was passing me by. Like all of those statements where like you work hard and you achieve, it was all crumbling on me. And I remember thinking like, I won't accept this. And I had to accept it because, you know, one of the greatest relationships we have is with our health. And I put everything in front of that. I put the praise and the power I, I was getting out of my job and, and the money I was receiving. And I was optimizing all the money I was receiving. I was like always on an airplane and always, you know, in a glorified state as a corporate employee. And I loved it. But I started realizing in that awakening moment that it was a facade. It was a complete facade. And that my life was actually lonely as hell. That a lot of my relationships with friends and family and even my marriage dissolved because I put work first. And if my work needed me, I would do it. I remember rarely taking vacations up until that point. And there was a moment when I took vacation to go to Mexico with some family. Our office had a fire and they called me and I hopped a plane and went home. I went home to deal with the fire. Like everything to do with work was more important than anything to do with my personal life. And in that moment, I started realizing just how unhealthy my addiction to work was, my addiction to praise was, my addiction to wealth was. I started understanding that money was like this, this thing lurking in the background and the loneliness, yeah. the things that I was buying, it was just feeding how I could hide the loneliness. And coming into that hospital with a changed life, I really had to confront it. 
And it was terrifying, terrifying to sit in your own feelings and your own emotions. And I realized that every single thing was connected to an unhealthy relationship to money. And that I'd never heard that before. I started diving into all kinds of books and information. I was just like hungry for knowledge about why I'd gotten this way, why I had made every decision up until that point outside of myself and not for myself. And that's a long-winded opening, but it took you know nearly 30 years for me to understand that I was living a life that was not my own. And it was based on this idea that society told me that if I followed a path, I would become happy and I would have enough money. That was my goal. I wanted to have enough money so I could retire by 30. And the universe had other plans. So I realized just how imperative societal norms, expectations of relationships, and how little I valued myself played a role in that unhealthy relationship to money. And so I vowed from that moment on to see it differently. And then, of course, I started my own company. I started that back end of 2011. And since then, I've just dedicated my life to shining a spotlight on a relationship with money that makes us see life through a new lens, one that honors us and creates richness from the inside out. Wow. I feel like there's so much to unpack there with your story. And so many pieces are so relatable for so many of us on some scale. And you talk a lot about in your work, our relationship to money. Can you talk about why does our relationship to money matter? And what informs that relationship for most of us? I love this question. We've been taught our entire lives to see money as external to us, that it is something that we need in order to live a successful life. What is success? We've never been taught to even think about success. We've not been taught to understand that money is with us from the moment we are born until we perish. How morbid that may sound, it is the truth. It's something we need to live in our society. And it's also got a bunch of taboo things connected to it. Don't speak about it have a lot of it, manage your spending habits, save, follow personal finance people, and you know, be happy. And all of those things don't often get connected together intuitively. So I just want to step back and say that why I started seeing money as the relationship was that it was in all of the decisions I was making, whether it was direct or indirect, it was tied to every single decision. And how I mean is, when I'd wake up every day to get to my work, I was feeling like I had something to prove. I had something to prove and that was tied to my enoughness. And so if you're out there listening to this and you're, you're doing something because you have something to prove or there's an expectation on you, that's not actually something you have decided. It just lives in your subconscious. It's programming we've decided. So a relationship is something that you see and you honor. And how I define a relationship with money is the state of being connected with your highest self. That you're always thinking about your thoughts and your decisions and the emotions that come up as it relates to a loving, nurturing relationship with money. And money in this case is literally our highest self and the energetic state in which we possess. Because it's from that place 
that we learn our enoughness and we learn our spending habits that feel healthy and we make decisions that light us up, not the opposite. In our life, we've been taught to look at our friends and be like, oh, she has a really beautiful shirt. I need one of those. And it's, it's just something that exists around us. And I want to put a spotlight on it and say, why? Why are we interacting this way with money? And why does it have to be negative? Why does it have to be perceived as greedy if we, we want to look at money differently? And instead to pause and say, it's something that's with me for life and I'm going to prioritize it. It's something that lives within me and is filtered through decisions I make. And that always reminds us that we have power because so many of us feel powerless in our relationship with money. What if we think about the state of being connected to ourselves and also the state of how money nourishes our life, that we can see it and interact with it differently? I don't know about you, but I'd never heard anything like that. And I learned the hard way of making decisions based on someone else's expectations of myself nearly cost me my life. And now I remember every day I wake up that I could reconnect to my relationship with money, which is ultimately myself and make decisions that honor me Mm -hmm. instead of getting caught up in external validations and societal norms that don't. Yeah. I think that certainly resonates. And you said you hadn't you know, have we ever heard it framed that way? And I have not really thought about it that way, but it makes so much sense when you say it does inform every decision we make. And so why not examine that relationship? And and I love that from what I understand of, of your work and how you help people now, like it is possible to have financially abundant life without following some of what those norms we are conditioned to believe are. Absolutely. And I think like just for context, because it's it's really easy to sit here and listen to be like, yeah, that makes sense. But like, how does that apply and show up yeah. in real life? And if you just break this down into like granularity in our day to day, just think about how many times we feel anxiety in our relationship to money. And, and I want to give context here. It doesn't matter how much money we have. I've worked with clients of literally 50 plus million dollars who can still feel anxiety about money. I've had clients who have no money, like so close to bankruptcy and feels very similar. And it's not actually the numbers that matter. It's how we feel about what we have that creates scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about our day to day and you wake up and you check your bank account and you feel anxiety that, you know, you don't want to check the mail because what bills live in there, you go to the grocery store and you feel anxious or concerned about buying organic groceries, or you live in a home that is just filled with things and none of it makes you happy or you like are waiting for a bus and you're feeling consumed because you don't have enough. Every single one of those things is connected to our own worth and somehow directly relates to cash money. But what we don't think about is we have the opportunity to view it differently. And that's why what you said is so potent because yes, if we start shining a light on the fact that there's so much that we can focus on that is good and that expands and that relationship is about giving and receiving, anything is possible. And I've been so honored to witness that through thousands of client relationships. The biggest thing is we have to be willing to see it differently. We have to be willing to change. 
Without that, it won't work. Mm -hmm. And I I just want to leave this one other thing before we move on. This is why I feel like budgets don't work. They've been created to build a plan, build a plan on how to spend, but it's putting a band-aid on a bigger problem. You know, if, if we're not looking at why we're creating a budget in the first place around the things we deeply love or that make us excited about our life, we're never going to follow it. If we don't get to the stories behind why we spend the way we do, budgets will never work. And they feel so restrictive. The whole concept of a budget can be feeling like scarcity. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to buy into it. I like the sound of that. I agree with that. I've never resonated with the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Never been naturally good at that either. So that's perfect. (laughs) So that kind of leads into this next question um, that I'm curious about is, what are the energetics behind unhealthy patterns with money? So whether it's overspending or even underspending, not feeling worthy, relying on money for the sense of self, like what is going on behind some of those behaviors? Yeah. Oh my goodness. And it's different for everyone. So like, for example, if we all got a thousand dollars in this moment to spend as we saw fit without any restriction, we would all manage that differently. We would all take that thousand dollars. Some of us would save it all. Some of us would spend it all. Some would be a myriad in between. And I think that that is such a beautiful thing about money that we all look at it entirely unique, like a fingerprint. And that is to be celebrated, that we don't have to just be uniform in our thinking. And the thing for me with feeling around money is as soon as it's really tied to anxiousness or anger or shame or anything that really like catches you in your gut that doesn't feel good, it's an invitation to heal. And what I mean by that is there's always something tied to that emotion that's much deeper than at surface level. And so I'll give an example in my life. When I was in grade 11, I had to bring pretzels to school. And you're like, where is this coming from? But this gets to the granular level of what I mean. So I had to bring pretzels to school. I didn't have enough money to buy the brand name pretzels. So I brought no name pretzels. And all of my classmates completely made fun of me. They're like spitting out the pretzels. They're like, these are terrible. You're such a loser. And this small moment in time for one day in school shaped nearly 15 years of spending for me. And why I highlight this is because it's not intuitive to think this way. There's no way before digging into this work, I would have said, yes, there's this moment in grade 11 when someone shamed me for bringing no names pretzels that would have guided my decisions in the years forward, but it did. And why it did was because someone made me feel like I couldn't just be me, that the money I had could buy no name pretzels and that just wasn't good enough. So in order to keep me safe, I decided to wear a mask, wear a mask of really expensive labels. For years, I would buy Burberry coats and Labutin heels and Louis Vuitton everything. And I just convinced myself it's because I love the labels. And don't get me wrong, I love me a good luxury (laughs) brand. But what was really behind the spending was not enoughness. And this idea that I had to look a certain way to be taken seriously. So if you would have seen me in my corporate days, I would have been decked out head to toe instead of, you know, wearing what I'm wearing now, which doesn't matter. As long as we feel good in it, that's the point. But to me, it was like some armor. 
it was like, you're never going to call me no name again. I am worthy. And I used clothing to shield myself. And how I figured this out was through those moments, those moments in time. And I encourage you to look for your own pretzel story if you're listening to this. And they can be both limiting and empowering. They can be positive or negative, or you have those phrases in your brain from your parents. We can't afford that. We don't buy those things. And all of a sudden we catch ourselves. Oh my gosh. I say to myself like 15 times a day, I can't afford that. Where is that coming from? It's from your programming when you were a kid. It's so natural as humans that we take in our surroundings, especially as children and let them influence us. And then our brain automates those things so that as adults, what we're seeing is just old programming, but we haven't consciously even recognized it. So I love to have people explore this. When you have negative feelings around money, start looking past those feelings to what happens. And I'm running a women entrepreneur group right now. And one of the the ladies said, she's like, because we were diving into this topic. She's like, I can hear my dad's voice. I can hear my dad's voice. We don't need that. She's like, I hear it now. And I never realized it was his voice. I thought it was my own. And I think that that's so powerful that in all of our interactions with money, there's so much history there that can be uncovered that's unique to us, like that fingerprint I was talking about, that is so potently filled with information about do we want to keep feeling this way or do we want to welcome in a change? And part of that is to even recognize that it exists. So looking at pretzel stories or, you know, um, just for context, I'll give the flip side. When I was 12, I had an aunt who hired me to do odd jobs in the summer. I don't know if any of you had that <laughs> where you could go work for someone. Mm-hmm. And her father-in-law was like, you see all these sheds in, over in this field? I was like, yes. He's like, I want you to paint them blue. He's like, make me an invoice and charge me for them. So I worked hours and hours painting these sheds blue. I'm 12 years old. Like, oh my gosh, I was so excited. And I gave him an invoice. I think it was for like maybe $300. And I was nervous to give it to him. And he handed me over $1,500 cash. And he said to me, Selena, you get paid for the job you did, not the time you put in. And again, 12-year-old self, I promptly forgot about all of this. But through this work, I started realizing, oh, this is so imperative for us seeing money ceilings differently, that things can come to us. It's not just time traded for money, especially for entrepreneurs. So there's just context to that. And if you're hearing these stories, allow yourself to get curious about them. How have words and Christmases or experiences, holidays, summer holidays, birthdays, dining room table dinners with mom and dad, did they speak to you about money? Did they not? Did they say like wealthy people are evil? you know, or greedy, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, get familiar with those context statements. And as they come up for you in your life, have an awareness around it. That is like the biggest gift ever to start realizing how we speak to ourselves. And when I said earlier that we could be saying like, wow, money, literally we could be talking about how we can't afford something like 30, 40, 60 times a day. That's normal. In my research with clients, it's fascinating to see how poorly we speak to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so again, long-winded answer, but 
always, if there is some negative feeling around money, explore it deeper. Our goal is to try to feel neutral as much as possible about experiences. People may not feel like that's negative, but it does give us something to unpack. Like the examples you gave around that's so expensive or, you know, we can't buy that. Like that is something to dig into. And and I I feel like I've been in so many conversations, you know, over time where I've been in a conversation where someone's talking about, oh my God, that's so expensive. Can you believe that? And I've always kind of had this visceral reaction, like, well, kind of like what you said about the, it's not the time you spent, it's the job you did. It's like, well, the market will dictate who's, someone's paying for that. That's why they can charge that. That's why it's expensive. And so I think it just gives another way of looking at it and some tools to look at it differently. My question for you is, so if someone is starting to unpack this for themselves and starting to identify their own pretzel stories, or how did my family talk about money at the table, how do they then begin to turn that around for themselves? Yeah, I think this is so important that it's taken us a lifetime to get to this place, right? And especially with money, we can feel like we need to have it solved immediately. So number one is to have compassion for where you are because it's not about being perfect. It's about learning more fluidly about ourselves. So if we're like, whoa, I'm saying this to myself or I get really triggered when I see a friend always being able to buy something and I can't and it makes me feel less than, to number one, give the situation compassion to say like, oh, wow, I'm so proud of myself for recognizing that instead of falling into the pattern of like, oh my gosh, I'm not worthy or like spiraling out into a shame story, we can just pause and be like, huh, I noticed that about myself. And then next is to get curious about what we actually want. Because I think it can be so automatic that we look externally for things. And I love what you said earlier about like, that we can decide for ourselves because some people will really want what you have and some people won't. Like everyone situation with money is a little bit different and our wants and needs are different. And so it's coming back to really quieting the noise around us and saying, well, what do I want? Like actually putting a voice to, okay, why is this upsetting me? Why is this upsetting me? Why do I feel anxious? And just asking a question and saying like, is this something that I feel like is my truth that I can never have? And why is that? Or is this a lie? Is this a lie that, no, this is just someone else told me I couldn't do it. And and what could it look like if I wanted it? And it feels too much like a stretch. It's just like the curiosity about it. Because sometimes we're so eager to stop the ability for us to see beyond ourselves, you know, like what's possible for us. Mm -hmm. So first compassion two, very much getting curious about if that's our truth or not. And three, like, how could this feel if I allowed myself to dream this? Mm -hmm. How could it feel? So for example, like some of us might really be wanting to create businesses right now, listening to this, and you're in a position that maybe you don't love, but everyone said, be grateful for it because there's not a lot of jobs right now. Absolutely, we can be grateful for that. But we can also acknowledge our soul's calling is bigger. And so one of the things is like to have compassion. Yes, there are so many people who don't have jobs and I am so grateful to have one. And it also is the truth that I want more and it's not wrong for me to want more. And then 
how can I turn that into like figuring out a plan for myself? Well, getting curious on what a business could look like for me. You know, what could that feel like? What am I good at? What are my gifts? You know, like how much money would I need to feel safe to leave this job and start my business? So that's kind of an example of like, just analyzing the situation differently, having compassion, getting curious, and then trying to put some real thought to it. Because I really believe if we can't see it in the future, we won't go for it because we've imposed a limitation and a ceiling on ourselves. And I think that's especially true in money. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use this example. So I've worked with so many children in relationship to money work, and they're just the funnest clients because they don't have any imposed ceilings. Their imposed ceilings come from family members and things, societal norms. So if you're a parent listening to this, I encourage you to not use words like we can't afford that and simply reframe it to say, you know, it's it's not reflecting uh, our priorities right now, but how could we find a way to make this something we want? So for example, say there's a big Lego set or something a a child wants. If you say we can't afford that, it can impose a ceiling. The child's like, well, we, we can never have that. But if we're saying like, Hey, we just went through Christmas. And if Lego is important to you, that's awesome. But it's not a priority in our spending right now. So let's brainstorm some ways we can bring this Lego home. Is there some things we can sell? Maybe you want to create a little business on the side you know, maybe you can negotiate an increase in your allowance. Like I'm going a little bit on a tangent here, but do you see the difference? What I mean, instead of saying, nope, we can't afford that and being, you know, negative versus saying like, it's not a priority right now, but let's like a family priority, but your voice matters. Let's brainstorm how we can make this a possibility. And then all of a sudden kids start seeing it differently. I've had kids literally create businesses overnight and good successful (laughs) ones because they're brave, you know? And I think that that's, that's part of this is coming back to the childlike wonder of like, how could I make this possible for myself? Mm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it also gives the child like the collaborative nature of being involved with the decision and coming up with ideas and figuring out how to make it work. And that is a relationship, you know, like we're already fostering that idea that it's not yes or no. It's like, let's figure this out. And that is a lifelong legacy tool. Like one of the things about our money relationship is we can hold, you know, trauma at a cellular level from previous generations about money. And this work can be so massively healing for yourself, your family legacy, and any children or future children, because changing our words changes our reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out like, what is my subconscious limiting belief around money? And when you were talking, a light bulb went off and I'm curious to see if this has come up with any of your other clients, but both of my parents are divorced and they're both on like very opposite ends of the money spectrum. Like my dad, it doesn't like he just spends and doesn't really care about that. And my mom is very constrained. Like we can't afford this. Like everything is in, you know, more scarcity mindset. And I grew up more with her. And I was just thinking, because 
I started working at a really early age, like when I was like 13 or 14, because I believed that I felt so bad for spending my mom's money that I wanted to do it all myself and just start making my own money. And I realized that I still do that now. I don't like asking for help. I'm very independent when it comes to money and it's fine, but it's also just different. In terms of, you know, there are situations where it would have been really helpful to just say, hey, I want to start a business even recently. Like I'm starting a business during a pandemic and I would like to know that I have a safety net in case anything happens. So it's like that ultra independence that I went through. So I'm just curious to see if that has come up with any of your other clients. Absolutely. So first, thank you for sharing that. And second, I feel like it is very normal for us to either be similar to one parent or exactly opposite. And it depends on like where that lands, but it's always a good starting point because what you said was really powerful because most people are like, I don't know my subconscious imprinting and my money programming. (laughs) Of course we don't. We've never like thought about it like that. And so I'm so grateful you brought that up because it's usually through other people's stories that we go, oh yes, I remember. Like for example, Mark Groves, when we were chatting about I'm not sure which podcast you would have listened to with him and I, but one of his main stories was literally a trans getting a GoBot instead of a transformer. And he's like, well, this is ridiculous. But like, it's important to unpack because it, it literally filters in so many of our decisions. And so I want to thank you for sharing that. And two, just for everyone listening, it's not normal for us to talk in this way in the external world about money programming and stories. So what a gift we can give ourselves to get curious about our own. Cause then we're like, what should we do with it? You know? And, and so, yes, I've heard iterations very similar to yours. In fact, I identify as a very ultra independent person too. And I think that all of that is totally great until it's connected to something that feels like anxiety or anxiousness, or we have to do it that way Mm -hmm. because, and I'm so curious about like your reaction to mom, like not wanting to be a burden for her. You know, often that's very normal for kids. We don't want to be expensive for our parents. We're very Mm -hmm. frugal. So then we're like, well, I need to work immediately. And then what can happen is it's just never Mm -hmm. enough. You know, I've had clients worth several million dollars and they need $2 million in the bank and then they need four and then they need six. You know, it just is a never ending pit. And so, yes, to just take pause and say like honoring your little self. And if you happen to see the recording of this, you'll see, I have like a picture of my little self um, beside me. And if you're just listening, it's just a picture of little me. And why I love to do that is to remember that there's a little person living within us calling many money shots, Mm. if you will, always like saying, Hey, listen to me. And so remembering that she lives or he lives or they live within you and just honoring that they have a voice, like for you, just asking yourself right, right now and being like, well, do I really want to be independent like this? And why don't, why won't I accept help? What does that reflect upon me if I was to receive help? Does it make me feel weak? Does it make me feel like a burden? And to get curious around how that showed up in your past with your mom per se. And I just want to share one more quick thing about that. I had a client, very similar story, and she was very independent and she didn't want to do anything that really bothered her dad. And so fast forward as an entrepreneur, she started having very successful months. 
And then all of a sudden she started catching herself. She wanted to spend, she was like online shopping and she bought temporary tattoos. She's like, why did I buy these temporary tattoos? I don't even (laughs) like them. And I was like, well, have you been honoring your little self? Have you been asking her if she feels safe and listening? She's like, no. And then she went into meditation and literally she's like, this is why I bought the tattoos. And I know this can sound a little potentially out there for some people listening to this information for the first time, but our little selves are guiding us in our money. And I think it's important to give them a voice. And it doesn't have to mean that they're forgotten or they lead the show. It's just knowing that they're safe. And I think for you, inviting your yourself, Cat, uh, to just say like, hmm, okay, this independence, I can be proud of this and also choose to see it differently. Like if I want to create a business and you know give my little self a voice and make her feel safe, how could I receive help that doesn't make me feel less than? What could that look like? How could I be open to that? Something like that mm-hmm. to get curious about how it plays in. And then you'll find other stories that help solidify it from your past as well. Does that resonate at all for you? Yeah, definitely. And even as you're talking to like another thing, I like I would always when I was choosing a degree in college and I would always do it based on money and I don't regret it because I had an amazing career and an amazing experience. But I, I just remember it was always like, well, I can't do that because it won't make money. I have to do this. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that too. It's like, well, you know, if I really want to do this career that lights me up, it would, you know, won't make money. So you choose something that isn't. And there's that feeling. (laughs) There's that feeling because I agree with you, like many careers look really fun and you're like, well, I could never do that. And that's programming Mm -hmm. for us, right? Mm -hmm. Like societal programming saying, nope, that's not a good decision. And often parents influence us, like you need a good job and whatever that means. But, you know, standing on the other side of this work, I would say like, it's been phenomenal to watch how many of us go through degrees that we're still proud of and they're still part of our money story, but then we go ahead and like pursue our passion and to not let that hold hold us up. And then to say like, why can't we? I've had people who've, who've gone into careers that by all means shouldn't pay much. And then they've gone ahead and created their own business where sky's the limit and they've defied all odds. And I think it's that harmony, I, I like the word harmony because I don't believe in balance, but there's an idea of harmony between honoring ourselves and and really like being willing to do the work always because the work with money doesn't end. And it's it's not in a way that feels heavy. It's just like a way we can get to know ourselves better. Like that's what I meant when we open this call, when we're like money is in all decisions. Like think about how you chose your university or college based on money. It guided your entire career for some of us, you know, like that is a perfect example. And to not shame ourselves for knowing more now, like we have such a breadth of knowledge, but we can take that and and use it as fuel for the life we really desire and and deserve. We've talked a lot about some of the steps to take and the early steps in identifying this, building awareness, if someone is really wanting to raise their ceiling, their money ceiling, maybe they are in a job and they're working for someone, how might someone apply those principles? If you are working at a company, you are working in corporate, maybe you like your job, but you want to be earning more, bringing in more financial abundance. How might someone like that apply some of these things? 
I'm so glad you asked that because there's like no shade whatsoever to like owning and loving a career. I want to really be clear in that. I know sometimes we can focus on entrepreneurship, but one of the ways we can really call in abundance, as I'd like to say with a career is really paying attention to what moves the needle. So like, say you're doing something that you deeply love and you're getting really beautiful results, honing in and focusing on that, keeping record of it so that when it's time to negotiate for a salary increase, we've got a plethora of documentation on all the ways you've helped save the company money or earned extra money or created synergies or efficiencies. And really like paying attention to how we can advocate for ourselves. Meaning like, say we want compensation in a different way, using our voice. Our voice is so powerful in a way that's like, hey, I really would love to advocate for working from home for one day a week. You know, maybe that's really needed for mental health. I know right now we all might be working from home for extra, but some people may not. And if it's possible, really like making sure we're working on keeping our energy positive. How can we make the most out of this career giving and also honoring the fact that we can negotiate some of the things we most desire, not just following a path that anyone sets out. It's like, yes, I'm going to give my all and I'm, I'm going to document it. So everyone makes sure and knows what I've done, but also not just having to show up and do things like everyone else. It's like this position How can I be more integrated in the company? How can I honor my own boundaries? Maybe you work better at different hours. Maybe that includes negotiating different work hours if it's possible. Or, you know, finding new ways to create team dynamics. Sometimes not being feeling alone in a company and just creating some team dynamics and some fun goes a long way too. So really getting to know who you are as a person and what lights you up and taking inspired actions to get there. Because when we're at a really positive, energetic state, it's amazing to watch how abundance shows up in our life. And what I mean by that is all kinds of ways. All of a sudden, your boss is like, let's go out for lunch. And you get to have lunch for free at an amazing place, per se. And you don't even realize how that's abundance. Or sometimes, you know, a colleague brings you a coffee and you're like, that was really nice of you. Or you might check the mail and an unexpected refund comes in the mail, or you get a random inheritance, or you sell something on a buy and sell that was posted for three months. Like it's not always directly tied to cash money, but working on keeping us deeply connected to joy and deeply connected to advocating for ourselves and really like finding gratitude in small moments. So, one of the things we can do, whether we own a business or not, I always love when we're buying things to to have gratitude for what it brings in our life. Say we're at Whole Foods and we're buying groceries and we're so excited about the organic food that's going to be nourishing our body and just taking a second to be like, I am so grateful that I get to eat this food and it's so healthy and it makes me feel so good and this will just never be lost on me how grateful I am for this. And just taking a second to do that rather than just standing in the urgency of our day or the urgency of how much money it costs, just flipping that to gratitude or similar when our paycheck comes in to be like, I am so grateful for this money. I am so grateful for how it fuels my life. And is there room for improvement? Absolutely. But I'm going to just drink in the beauty of what this money gives me. And I feel like that's different for us all. We all have, you know, different amounts of money that come in, but what can be universal is the gratitude for how money comes into our life, whether it's through people 
or experiences or actual cash. You know, sometimes we get a flower delivery to our door that we're unexpected. That's abundance. That's, you know, joy. And to remember that and anchor that into being a pattern interrupter for scarcity. Does that make sense to you mm-hmm. all? Yeah. Yes. I love thinking about it like a pattern interrupter for scarcity. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm thinking you can like pull that does. out anytime. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't always have to be money. It could be flowers being delivered to your door and that's abundance. Or words. That. Yeah. You know, have you ever opened up like an email or a DM on Instagram and someone just like poured their heart into like how much you mean to them? And just in a sincere way, like that mm-hmm. to me is like calling in abundance via energy and like how that makes us feel like that is worth so much. Mm-hmm. And if we always look at it as just cash, like we miss those experiences. So to take inventory of that and, you know, the pattern interrupter thing is, is really important because if we wake up and we wake up to a bill, let's say an email comes in and your bill is more than you expected and it takes you out. And then all of a sudden someone sends you a nice email, you know, we can pattern interrupt ourselves from that scarcity. Like there's so many ways for us to drink in abundance feelings and it doesn't just have to be money. But what I do know, and having been in this business for 10 years is when we are in that state, we tend to attract more cash, like unexpected cash. It's just, it's because energy attracts like. So if we tend to be in that state of like being in the flow of appreciation and gratitude, often it shows up. And it's not a universal, of course, life happens, but reminding ourselves that we have the ability to practice gratitude in the smallest of spaces and to break up scarcity gives us our power back. Yeah. I love even thinking about like reflecting on that at a day's end or week's end, like what have I been given as a gift this week or or today? And it could be run the gamut of all those examples. I had a period of time, I think it was probably a couple of months ago where there was a week or two where I kept getting unexpected gifts. Like a client sent me a gift. I got a gift from a brand. I went out to a really nice dinner with a friend and her parents called and said they wanted to pick up the tab for us. Just things like that like kept happening. And I remember reflecting on this with my friend and saying, wow, you know, this is a week where all of these kind of gifts, unexpected kind of abundance has come through. And she's like, oh my God, I never would have thought that about any of these things that have happened, but now I'm going to. And I, in my experience, it does align with other things coming in as well. It's like, pay attention to all these little things and be grateful for them. And you might notice more is coming your way has been my experience. Yeah. I love that chair. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And also like, it's also what we focus on expands like that age old, um, statement. Like when you say you're car shopping and you want to buy a car, all of a sudden you notice them all over the street, yeah. right? Like that's just intuitive yeah. how it works. And the other piece I want to add, cause we, we didn't focus necessarily on the numbers in this discussion, but we can also really stand in our power when we feel powerless in our numbers relationship. When say we have debt or something and we're feeling very powerless in it. One of the ways we can you know, up the ante on our abundance is to call that lender and lead with compassion and curiosity and say like, Hey, I've got this debt. I'm really working on synergizing my cash flow, And of course I'm a bean counter. So you may not say it like that per se. You might be like, Hey, I'm really working on my cash flow. I'm hoping that you might be open to a reduction in interest rate. 
and, or like an interest free holiday for six months. And you'd be amazed at how often they'll say yes. And if you don't, if they don't, you can ask for supervisor or call back again, you know, and especially that can feel annoying. Like I don't want to call my lender, but I've had clients do this and save themselves thousands of dollars. And that's abundance, not having to spend money on interest and standing in our power. So there's ways we can do that with energy. And then also ways we can literally just do that with honoring our numbers or knowing your money personality. Like my stress response is to be a money hoarder. That's part of my personality. I want to, if I'm independence and I'm in stress mode, I might like take all of that money and put it into my savings account. But learning that, you know, part of money is to give and receive. Like we do need to spend, we can't just hoard it all. That's also a bit toxic, you know, Mm -hmm. to come into that middle ground to say like, well, what do I want to spend on? And nicknaming your account something fun Mm -hmm. so that you actually get excited to open up your bank account. You know, I've had women business owners who despise tax, like despise tax. And we get into the, the reasons behind tax and how amazing it is to actually have to pay tax. And then one of them's like, well, I'm going to name my account Taxgasm because that makes me happy. You know, like play on words. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. be fun and creative with anything, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's the same thing with budgeting or cash flow or just working on seeing it differently. It's with energy, but then done best when coupled with strategy. In my opinion, money work is 70% mindset. So standing in what we're talking about, like knowing our emotions, if it honors us, pattern interrupters. But then we also need some strategy on the numbers because we can't just be like, yes, I'm going to call it in. We have to catch it. Yeah, We have to catch it and put it with intention. So I feel like to make sure that that's fully stated in this conversation that, you know, token CPA also has to say like, really honor the fact that your relationship to money can include experts. Mm -hmm. Have a dream team. We're all deserving of a financial dream team. Mm -hmm. And part of our power is to ask questions when we don't understand. Just because we aren't taught money at a granular level doesn't mean we can't ask questions. Be brave to ask bold questions because who decided money questions are silly in the first place? I don't agree with that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's part of our power. Yeah. And I was just thinking too, like, cause I've heard that money and love are connected and I wonder if it goes back to being grateful. So if you're grateful every day for your, whether it's a romantic relationship or your friendships or whatever, and you have compassion, then that's a relationship that's also tied to the same thing you would do for money. So then more of that comes in. So then you get more love and you get more appreciation. And, and if you do that with money too, then you get more of that. Is that why they're connected? (laughs) I agree. And Mark and I have had extensive conversations about this because the work is very similar, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's one of the reasons we created a course together because the parallels, especially if you share money with someone too, like it can bring up a lot of money wounding and then you can work on healing that. And the compassion, whether you have money by yourself or with other people is such a gift. And I think you nailed it in saying like, that's why I say it's a relationship with our highest self Mm -hmm. because it's really only about loving ourselves first so that we can then apply it to loving other relationships as well. Amazing. Well, I know that we only have a few minutes left. I love this conversation so much though. We have one question that we ask all of our guests 
a closing question. This, the podcast is called This Life Explains It All. So the question is, what life experience has been your greatest teacher? Oh, wow. The first one, I always trust my gut. The first one that comes to mind is the one I'm going to share. I feel like one that really shaped how I see relationship to money was when I was in Kenya. And I had grown up in North America with this idea of more, 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 more. And then going to Kenya, and I'll never forget, I took a suitcase full of chocolate because chocolate at that time in Kenya was a bit hard to get. And just looking at the pure joy that chocolate can bring humans, like without all of the noise of other things, of more, it really shaped my persona on what abundance is. And I, I feel like this is fair to say in any culture, in any jurisdiction, it just happened to be in Kenya, but I feel like it really reminded me that more isn't always better. And I feel like that's been part and parcel with my work is that more money isn't always better either. It's finding that place of where your worth meets your wealth, where your joy really lives and enjoying simple things because life passes us by. And whenever I feel like I want to remember what simple joy is, I think of that experience. And I think what a gift that was to me as a observer to remind myself that like we can always get caught up in what everyone else has or what we don't have. But like how beautiful it can be to just like have a bit of chocolate and just think it's amazing or to be out in nature and feel the sun on our faces and then that's enough. And I think quieting the noise of everything else in shaping our like inner wealth is a constant reminder for me. And I hope that that makes sense because in my brain, I'm always like, going back to that as a reference point for like, am I happy? You know, can I really be super excited about small things? Because we can lose sight of it in our busy lives, in our focus on things that don't really matter, in external validation. You know, what's your simple piece of chocolate that just brings you so much joy and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks? And it has literally nothing to do with the fact that I brought the chocolate. It was just so cool to watch. I felt like so enriched by that experience because they just taught me so much about loving with less. I love that. It's like changes perspectives. Thank you so much for this. I feel like there are so many more places we could go with this conversation. It's really, really amazing. If someone wants to find out more about your work, your offerings, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I have loved this conversation. Y'all are amazing humans. Thank you for sharing time and space with me. If you're interested in following a little bit more about this idea of relationship to money and kind of harmonizing mindset, strategy, energy work, come find me on Instagram. My handle is Selena G Money. I also have a Facebook group for women entrepreneurs called She's a Money Boss. And it's just a piece of the internet where you can come and just ask questions that you don't get to ask anywhere else. And most of my work now is with entrepreneurs because I tend to love to help people stand in their worth and see the results. I absolutely help humans of all kinds and families. I work one-on-one with corporate executives all the time, but I just want to remind everyone that money lives within us. And if it doesn't feel good, that there are small things you can do each day to really change the trajectory of your life. 
And I know that can feel oversimplified, but I've just dedicated my life to this. And now having the beauty and the gift of working with thousands of humans on it, it's really getting to know yourself better and giving airtime and space to listening to yourself. And that can sound simple and it is simple, but it's hard. And so I hope I've created an opportunity for you to think about things a little bit differently. And I just really appreciate your time, ladies. Thank you so much. Wow. What a great conversation. It made me really think about a lot of things. And I actually had some light bulb moments about my own childhood and my own relationship to money. Yeah, same. And it's also so interesting because I think that certain actions or things that we do play out in different ways or have different rationale. You talked about why you wanted to get a job when you were so young. I thought about that. I didn't share it in the episode, but I also started working when I was very, very young. Mine was a little bit different because I was just so focused on, okay, like if I want something easy, I just have to go work and get it. Maybe that contributed to some other ways of being that I am, but I thought that that was really interesting. And I'm definitely going to be thinking about what are my pretzel moments as she shared when she gave her pretzel example of those moments in childhood that really define how you view your relationship to money. All right. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any aha moments as you think about your childhood and forming your relationship to money or even how it's manifesting for you now. Next week, we have another awesome guest all in this theme of it's a new year, new start. We've looked at our relationship to money. Now let's look at how we're nourishing ourselves. We have Jeanette Hyde on the podcast. If you're in the wellness world, you may have heard of her. She is one of the top nutritional therapists in the UK. She's been featured in a lot of the publications by the interviewers that you may know and love. And we are so excited to have her on the podcast. So she'll be on next week. Yes, I'm super excited to dig into our nutrition with her. All right. Well, until next week, I'm Katherine Griffiths. And I'm Stefania Romeo. Catch you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.